0: Ripped a uh, one of my loop, boot, boot, the loopholes on my pants. I went to pull it up, and it like slightly ripped. Uh-huh. And just the whole day, I had SpongeBob. I rip my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I didn't say it out loud. But every time I went to the bathroom and pulled it up, I could feel the little like rip. And I'm like, my
1: pants. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Guess what? <laughs> Oh, <sighs> I don't want I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna do it though.
0: You can know, do. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tempt you. No, it's my fault. It's also I'm doing a... the stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's Okay, Keith really wants to do the whole thirty in February. Again? Again, the full thirty. And I'm like, I don't. know <laughs> You do, you bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a problem. Like, I can't really lie. But I'm like, secretly in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna drink anyways. When like he's not around, like a, I'm gonna be like, do you have any work trips?
2: Like... <laughs> you could do the whole thirty like minus beer. You yeah. can do everything except
0: <laughs> yeah. the beer thing. Or I'll do wine. something like, is there any alcohol that's whole thirty approved? Yeah. I don't think so, but I'll get as close as it's possible.
2: Like sake. Yeah, yeah. I had like... sake for the first time the other week, and I did not realize like how intense that shit is. It wasn't. It was so much, like the, one of my friends like had a cup and she was like, uh. <laughs> she
3: just lit and, up. Yeah,
2: she was. And she was like looking at her boyfriend and she was like, "How are we getting home?" <laughs> oh He's no, like, I don't know. <laughs> but it was, it was good. I'd never had it before, and I was expecting it to be like like vodka. Yeah, but it's it's a lot smoother, and it even when it's not hot, it's really warm. Wow. I was. I, blew, I was ah, what is this magic? <laughs> Do some
0: sake tasting. It's
1: deceptive too, because it's like as you're drinking it, you're like, "There's no way I can get drunk off of this," and then all of a sudden, you're just like, "Bam," <laughs> <laughs> hammered.
2: <laughs> My friend showed up and he turns to everyone. and he goes, "Who's been sake drunk?" And we're all like, I, "I don't know, not me." And he's like, "Is sake drunk a different drunk?" And his girlfriend's like, "He's been asking this." all day. He just keeps asking, like, is it different? Is it weirder? What do you feel when you're sake drunk?
1: Is it like an absinthe drunk where <laughs> it's like an out of body drunk?
0: I was gonna say I've never been absinthe drunk, so <laughs> what
1: It's just like extremely drunk. Okay. Yeah. It My experience was it's like you know how like normally your brain function and your body function are kind of on the same wavelength and they taper off in their abilities mm-hmm. after a while. Um, with Absinthe it was like my body's fine but my brain is gone <laughs> <laughs> so do on this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wasn't that the like Super popular drink in the Victorian era That it like made people like hallucinate And like wasn't Toulouse-Lautrec like a big Absinthe dude Yeah He was like constantly tripping on Or what what it drunk tripping I don't know It
1: was like The green fairy That was what it was They claimed they saw a little green fairy I never saw the little green fairies
2: Didn't do enough I never did That's right
1: (laughs) (laughs) They only come (laughs) after the third time I didn't commit (laughs)
0: I didn't commit to that <laughs> There's, there's beer. for you? It's City of Dreams.
1: What style is City of Dreams?
0: It's like a pale ale. You want to smell it? It's kind oh. of like yeah. a pale. Do you want me to close all the doors?
1: Uh, you can close the white door. I think it's probably fine. If anybody comes in to the other door, we can boo at them from <laughs> from in here. Boo at them. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Fort George, City of Dreams, Pale Ale. Just kidding. We're not sponsored yet.
2: We've got a perfect opportunity for you, Fort George. Yeah. Yes. We've already said your name.
0: <laughs>
1: What's it worth to you? Half the work is done already.
0: You want us to tell you the history about Fort George? I know you probably already know it, but. Yeah.
1: Um, just a little teaser for the history of Astoria. Um, both *The Goonies* and *Kindergarten Cop* were filmed there. Yes. Astoria. Astoria. What would I say?
4: Astoria. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Astoria. It's like it's like uh, the difference between or.
1: Spot the outside. <laughs> Oregon
2: and Oregon, or Oregon, Oregon, Oregon. I had a co cowork- I grew up in Colorado, and I had a co worker the other day go, Oh, yeah, Colorado. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I just don't know how you say
4: that. <laughs> That's amazing. And
2: I don't know if you've seen the, the new Zombie <clears throat> Land, but the main girl or one of the girls in it is from Nevada, but they call her Nevada. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. yeah. The whole movie. And Robert, the whole time, is just like, <laughs> So easy. They're so close to Nevada. Why didn't they just call anybody in Nevada and be like, how do you say your state? And they'll be like, Nevada. Cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Instead, the whole movie, they go, Nevada. <laughs> Keith says Nevada. And I'm like, Nevada. Nevada. I've told uh, you multiple times now it's Nevada. Ne- Nevada. Yeah. yeah. That's how you know he's from the East Coast.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <The> East <laughs> Coast that, people too. want to
2: make that all- oh,
0: it, it, <laughs> there's and, British
4: roots. <laughs> try and try and make Nevada a little more classy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: there's there's you can't. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I love you, Nevada. <laughs> what, are we two minutes in I mean... and we've already cancelled Nevada?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and yeah, it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> I love going down there. G down there this year in That's... October. Vegas, so. right? Yep. I'll be there. All right. Great, we'll, we'll great do... basin. Yep. Great uh, basin anthropological conference. Or is it archaeological? I, I think know.
1: it's anthropological. I think so too. Same with NY NWAC. NWAC, Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do we want to talk about today? I've got <laughs> notes out for two episodes. We've got the one that I don't even remember what we were talking about on this one.
0: I totally missed that one. <laughs> I was so excited for yeah. that. <laughs>
1: I've got one. I really just want to talk about Conan the Barbarian, so I'm going to throw that in either way. Oh, do it.
4: Uh, <laughs> I've never watched the show. Neither have I. Me
2: neither.
1: Well,
4: I it's, just don't... it's very like <laughs> as over the top, like machismo as, as physically possible. Yeah.
1: From it the eighties. It was so, one of Arnold's breakout roles.
4: Yes. Or was it the seventies then? What was the year? 60... Nineteen eighty
0: two. Eighty two. Yeah. <laughs> Katie. Well, I know that
1: okay, so here we go with Conan. So
0: Oh, that was the cartoon was eighty two.
1: No, the the Arnold live oh. action one was eighty two. I think the so the It was originally like a comic book uh, Mm -hmm. written by, (sighs) I'm going to fuck this up.
0: (laughs) And you say you're a fan.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm a fan of the Arnold movie. It it was a comic book written in the 50s by some guy in Texas. Y'all are going to. Skin me alive for that. Um, there there are, there are people who study this and like there's the, you know, the, the folks who are super into comic books are just going to. Well,
4: they should come guest on our show then. And yes. clarify these yeah. points.
1: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I love Conan the Barbarian, 1982 action movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but what got me thinking about it is I was watching it just for like background noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was maybe like the 500th time I've seen it. So I just kind of know how it's going to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so like I'm, I'm writing these proposals and stuff and I've just got Conan on in the background and I started to get curious about it. And I was like, how cool would it be to excavate the movie set of Conan the Barbarian, like find Thulsa Doom's temple <laughs> where like there's all the like snake cult and stuff like that and, and conan huh. goes to the top and like beheads james earl jones and throws his head down the <laughs> the temple well then spoiler alerts <laughs> yes but <laughs> I don't watch it uh in 12 years it'll be 50 years old mm-hmm. so it'll be a historic site and it's over in spain so
4: spain. what are the laws in spain <clears throat>
1: I don't know.
2: The rain in Spain.
4: (laughs) I believe my limited experience in Europe is things aren't old until they're like (laughs)
1: 35,000 years old. Yeah.
4: Yeah, It's like I was in Malta and working in the um, uh, collections there. They had like 200 year old wine bottles catching rain. (laughs) And I was like,
1: (laughs) Yeah. That was kind of how it was for me in Portugal, too, where it was um, we were studying these paleolithic sites and anything, basically anything bronze age and younger was overburdened. And so they were like, just just hog out, get get through it as fast as you you can. Like, you know, see what's in there. But, you know, like we're not going to put our greatest level of effort on oh. the bronze age shit. It's
0: like, it's like so repetitive already. It's like, they, they already, know. it's
1: incredibly studied. Oh, my yeah. grandpa
0: like knew someone that they <laughs> yeah. already like hit statistical redundancy, like a
2: hundred
4: years ago on it. And they're like,
2: you can really throw it away. <laughs> right.
0: We really don't want to store
4: that in the collections facilities. That's there's actually been some interesting things on the random side note on that. Um, uh, that have been published, not super recently, but that I read a few years ago about that problem. Like there is too much shit in the collections facilities Mm. and they don't know what to do with it all. So things and a lot of large museums were going through and throwing out a lot of their bulk samples or trying to figure out how to manage it Mm -hmm. differently rather than keeping all of the ceramics, like bins and bins and bins of like... Mm -hmm. 18th or 16th or 15th century ceramics in like England and like yeah. so they don't collect a lot of that background noise that we would be like oh it's a nail oh my god it's open. <laughs> so i also hear they don't screen in much of that part of the world
0: i don't know i've never done archaeology over we, there, so. we screened yeah
1: but <laughs> <laughs> it w- it just it wouldn't surprise me if they don't <laughs> For yeah. whatever reason, it's like everything is just very strange. Yeah, well, yeah. it's
5: it's a Why different would you perspective need to look too.
2: Tiny things. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, yeah. that would be, oh, well, and it would be interesting to because uh, I know that the the approach is totally different. So, like in the UK, archaeology is housed in history, right? So you're not necessarily looking at lifeways. Mm. It is comparing it with the historic record. Um, And looking at stuff that you may not be able to see or that there isn't a historic record for, but it's not necessarily the same anthropological approach that we take. So it's, um, I think it would be fascinating to have a conversation about the differences between the two styles of um, archaeology. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to rearrange this (laughs) because I feel like I'm...
1: (laughs) Uh, so I got here a little early, and before you got here, we were talking to Chase, the station manager, mm-hmm. and we did a dry run of calling in on the phone mm. line. So
2: How did that go? I, bueno. Oh, yeah. Yeah. fabulous. Yeah. yeah, it sounds good. It doesn't sound like sometimes, <clears throat> oh gosh, um, <laughs> when you have people call in and it's the most like garbled, tin canny sound, yeah. and you're just like, I'm so glad you called in, but I can't. I can't understand a, a word that you're saying to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Long story short, it worked. Yeah. Awesome. Cool.
1: Well, and I was on the phone then. side, so it sounded fine on my side. Like the Nice. Katie and Tia were crystal clear. Nice. Yeah. I'm excited. <clears throat> Yay. So we can start uh, having guests call in and... Chase was saying something about um, live shows too, like figuring out how to do live broadcasts.
4: Ooh, that's fancy. Yeah,
1: and also do yeah, (laughs) 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 remote broadcasts, live broadcasts. Um, He has like that whole giant soundboard out there. Mm -hmm. He has one that, like, he just takes with him on the road. There's a second (laughs) one that he just takes on the road with him and and does like remote podcasts with. I mean, it's like trying to a kill a fly body. with a bazooka. I mean, that, <laughs> that soundboard is serious business.
4: Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. That'd be like doing a whole, taking the airstream, <laughs> the entire thing, but building this inside of it. Right. And just taking it with you into yeah. the field. Let's go on the road. Yeah. Put a giant antenna on the top.
1: It's yeah. Yeah. Really,
4: Satellite. I'm making motions. Doesn't make any sense. It's excellent is just... <laughs> for an auditory medium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. right. The uh, like a satellite community. It just it, images are popping into my head of like. Um, a cartoon spy film style stuff or like uh i don't know did you guys ever see the goofy movie back in <laughs> yes like the the rv that rolls up and it's like <laughs> all technology of a house and more <laughs>
1: anyway, oh man that's what i'm envisioning the goofy movie <laughs> it's on,
0: i think it's on disney plus i'm sure it is
4: <laughs> disney Plus. <clears throat> We're not going to go into that. <laughs> no no. no, no.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, I had so like I mentioned there's two episodes kind of noted out and mm-hmm. we have a flood of ideas um coming in from people on on Twitter and Instagram cool. and stuff like that. Um I really just wanted to talk about Conan the Barbarian on <laughs> <laughs> at least starting off. Yes. But I think given the, the time of year it is, uh, you know, it's the last couple of days of January, <clears throat> we're going into February, uh, it might be a good time to skip ahead in our notes and go to um, field season.
4: Yes. What do you but think? B- before we do that, yeah. what I do want to note on the, <laughs> the set, like TV show or movie sets, in the historic record you were saying you talked to someone that specializes in that right
1: yeah rebecca stone gordon so i'm hoping to line up an interview with her. yeah that would be a lot of
4: fun because some of my favorite stories or articles that i i have stumbled across in the past few years are like when they found the original silent film set for the cleopatra done in like Mm. the 1920s or 19 teens like But it was like done in Eastern California and it had been buried by dunes and some storm had blown through and revealed portions of it. But the thing was massive. I mean, they built the whole like if you ever find you can find snippets of it, I think, um, in archives online. But like they were able to they built the stage like what they filmed was like you could fit like not quite a Roman legion, but like about that wide to like make it look like they were coming into this temple area where she was at. Like, wow, it was massive. Um, and then there's always been talk about doing excavations in, uh, West Africa where, um, the original set for star Wars was for, was Tatooine, I think Mm -hmm. is out there. (laughs) uh so that's been like kind of crumbling and i saw an article about that so it's like there's it is a whole thing yeah um and it would be especially for unknown or lesser known like silent films or like the stuff from like the 40s and earlier i think that's pretty fantastic because they used to just do it was so elaborately built and done um you know whereas now things are a little more temporary i think yeah Mm -hmm.
1: There's an archaeologist in Bend um, named Kurt Hunt. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Huh. Um, he, that was, uh, or I guess still is uh, one of his uh, areas of, of research interest is huh. the Star Wars sets. Uh, nice. And he mentioned on, uh, I guess it was on Twitter, uh, that many years ago he pitched uh, to the government of Tunisia um you know, going there and their like ministry of culture was like, no, there's <laughs> no value in yes. this. And now that, you know, star Wars has been, you know, revamped and there's a lot more interest in it. Yeah. They're like, yes, please come like, I think you can, do this research. There's <laughs>
4: tours to it. Like you can visit yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and my, my bad, not West Africa, North Africa. I was oh, yeah. a stone's throw from Tunisia. I should know better.
0: <laughs> is, that, is that the same for like Hobbiton or in New Zealand where they built kind of- <laughs> Yeah. That they still have preserved. Yeah. The... They've turned it
4: into like an attraction. Yeah. In Malta, the- I, Some people might hit me for this, but uh, the lesser known uh, Popeye movie that was done a number of years ago is an attraction there. Um, <laughs> was that with
0: Robin Williams?
4: I think it was <laughs> I think it was I know so they've done a lot of films there because it's a very unique location but that was one for whatever reason they turned into a theme park and I'm like that's an interesting
2: yeah. choice <laughs> poor Malta <laughs> I don't know if you know, they have a I don't know <laughs> if most people even know that Malta like is this a place no. so they <laughs> don't
4: and people are like oh where did you do your you know your studies or you it know is because I took my daughter abroad and, like
0: <laughs> it is Robin Williams. Yeah.
1: I have
4: that's seen hilarious. That. <laughs> and Shelley Duvall is Olive. That's fabulous.
1: 1980. Uh,
4: oh. That long ago? I know, right? Wow. I thought it was done in the
1: 90s. Yeah. I, I would have thought like 94, bad. 95 something when like that. When he was
0: like kind of it's just taking yeah. off like yeah, early. Um he was already he was doing hood st- Yeah. <laughs> that's Hook. true. Sorry, Hook. hood. Hook. Hood. not thinking about that. <laughs>
4: uh and wasn't uh mrs doubtfire like 95 ish 96
1: now we're gonna have to look up robin williams i
0: think
4: that's early 90s because like
0: pierce brosnan was in it but it was before he was 007
4: it was and he was double oh seven when I was in middle school, so that would have been ninety ninety eight seven, ninety
1: eight. Mrs. Doubtfire, nineteen
4: ninety three. Ooh, that is way earlier than I thought.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I remember
4: when that came out. That makes me old. The nineties it was all a blur.
1: All right, let's see when Hook came out. Who, wants, who uh, wants that to was who that was also
4: like ninety four. Yeah, I, mean, I guess.
1: All right. If this was Price is Right rules, both of you would have busted. It was <laughs> oh, 1991.
4: Oh, of course it was going to be earlier. Yeah. No,
2: what are you reason?
4: That's Did my, you that's my oh.
2: birth year. What was
4: <laughs> <laughs> It's like you didn't even guess. You're like, I'm yeah. super
2: involved in that movie because I was born then.
4: <laughs> that's fair. <right. laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <sighs> well. Yeah. So, yeah. All the things. Movies, archaeology, archaeology of
0: movies. Movies about archaeology.
4: Who teaches archaeology of movies?
1: There's a handful of people.
0: Yeah, I actually took a class and we watched 10,000 BC (coughs) and we like picked it apart as part of our archaeology 101 class. I took it as a senior, but (laughs) (laughs) it was really fun to like pick it apart and be like, that's wrong. They wouldn't have been doing that.
4: I am the worst, and I'm sure we all are, uh, person to... You'd go to the movie theater for stuff like that because I'm like the whole time I'm like, yeah, that's a <laughs> That's that's not right at all. Yeah, <laughs> oh that wouldn't have happened. They didn't live at the same time. What are they doing? That wasn't the thing.
1: Okay. Have I'm you like, all it's ever? It's fiction. <laughs> have you ever seen Mystery Science Theater three thousand?
4: I have not. However, I've I've heard of it. Yeah. I've seen like I, well, I've chunks. seen the show. Yeah. Like a long time ago.
1: Yeah. So it was on uh, for a while. It was the longest running TV show in, you know, in American history. And then I think The Simpsons took it, took over that role. Um, And Grey's Anatomy, I think, is the second. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But so anyway, it's like uh, a human and two robot puppets. And they just spoof on really bad, like B horror movies. And, and other yeah randomness. and others and so uh it was my dad's 60th birthday mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago and they had a live show here at the Keller oh, Auditorium yeah? nice. so we went and it was hilarious oh, like good. they had it was like this whole like kind of like adult puppet show yeah. thing going on but it was also <laughs> just like absolutely roasting this terrible movie nice. that was like a knockoff of um the Karate Kid <laughs> but it had like a very young Jean Claude Van Damme in it. Wow! It was called No Retreat, No Surrender, and it was <laughs> that so. That sounds like it's like
4: Jean Claude Van Damme. This like set your career trajectory <clears throat> into the future. Yep. <laughs> you knew you'd be so successful? At. Yeah. He played <laughs>
1: angry guy. Di- angry guy who does splits a lot. <laughs>
5: That is kind Kind of him in every
1: movie.
5: man who does (laughs) splits in various circumstances.
4: (laughs) How many can we get in this film and what angles are we going to try and go for? (laughs) Let's try and figure out the situation.
1: He did one where he went into like this boxing ring and he like went up into the turnbuckle you know, and like he he like jumped and did the splits and put his legs like in the ropes of the, the oh, turnbuckle. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like his,
1: his splits went like deeper than, you know, yeah. if he was just on the floor. It was like a, a very deep split. It was. But he looked like angry and serious. While he did. <laughs> like that took practice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have that kind of hip mobility. I
2: don't think people should have that kind of <laughs> hip mobility. No. There's a point where that stops
4: bending things. Yeah. I just... You're causing joint damage at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish him well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so field season. Yes. Yes. Um, it's We're approaching February 2020. Mm-hmm. Um. The oceans are melting crustaceans alive. Did you hear about that? Softshell crabs are melting in the what? Pacific. Oh, yeah. That sounds painful. It's bad. Um,
4: that means we need to catch them all and eat them. Right.
1: You gotta eat all the sea meats while they're there. Um, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> The ocean's full of snacks, and I want it to stay that way. Yeah. So stop polluting. I don't.
4: I like squid, but if squid's all we got, I'm gonna be very not happy. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, the Earth's in trouble, and it's time for undergrads to register for field school. So. Uh, in addition to undergrads registering for field school, uh, archaeologists need to line up their plans for the 2020 field season. So that's like, you know, CRM, federal, um, you know, every other kind of archaeology mm-hmm. that there that is. Um, so what are some things that undergrads should consider when looking for a field school and what sets a good field school apart?
4: Mm, that's a good question. Do you guys have any insight? <laughs> Um, where did you guys go to? Where did, did I think we've had this conversation before? Where did you guys do field school?
2: I did my field school, the, my field school through my undergrad university, Colorado State University, and it was in uh northern Colorado, right around where, uh the university was, mm-hmm. um and at the Lindenmeyer site. Mm-hmm. You know, cool. Most of the times <laughs> I tell people that site and they're like, huh? <laughs> is, and, so, is it is that the one that's kind of like at a high elevation? Um, it's uh it's in the northern portion of the state, kind of near the. I think it's the Soapstone Prairie. Oh, okay, yeah. And it has this like giant arroyo that is like slowly cutting into the to the site, mm-hmm. but it's it's the where the first place that they found Folsom points, but. They didn't publish or talk about it until after they found Folsom points at Folsom,
5: <laughs> and Yay. so my professor
2: was always like, "It should be called the Lindenmeyer Point." <laughs> I'm sorry, Folsom's better. <laughs> it's so much better. Lindenmeyer. <laughs> it's like longer, and Folsom has a punch to it. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Johnny Cash never sang about Lindenmeyer. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I don't know if they have a state prison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Even
2: better. Yeah, I did mine at uh, CSU, and it was just the one that was offered through mm-hmm. the university. Nice. Um, and at the time, I had no idea what I was looking for in a field school, so I just was like, I was told I needed one, so then I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that it was an awesome field school, and if you are someone who wants to be a field archaeologist, you should look for a field school that teaches you how to do pedestrian survey, Mm -hmm. shovel testing, and excavation, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you get your jobs, you're most likely not going to be doing a lot of excavation, but knowing what it is, because, you know, I have had to excavate one by one since undergrad, so knowing what it is, and it's okay if you, like, forget, like, down the line, but just having had done one before. Um, I also really appreciated the fact that my uh, field school was super, it wasn't just focused on the science and, like, recording of sites. He made us – we had a weekly drawing that we had to do, and you had to sit somewhere in the environment and draw the environment. Oh, that's um, cool. He also wanted doodles in your notebook, so he was like, even if you are terrible at drawing, I want you to have some sort of artistic representation. Mm-hmm. Um, he also – we read a lot of, like um, like, silly – archaeology pieces but also more like academic stuff and a lot of people at my field school were not even anthropologists they were like english majors who were really interested in history and their perspective was fascinating on stuff they made it a lot more human in some ways where as we were all like counting how many projectile points we found they were like thinking more at the humanistic level so it was really cool um but kind of going off of what some people posted, I saw someone who wrote on the Twitter thing. Do you want it? Uh, sure. I, I don't know who it, it was. Um, oh, this someone said, is there a clear uh, John Lowe at ArcheoCore? Mm-hmm. Um, he said, is there a clear sexual harassment safety policy, including who to report to? Um a number of professors won't even consider a field school for their students if there isn't one. Um, And so as I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the last year's essays and kind of a bunch of stuff and make sure you have, your field school or you have a clear exit strategy. Mm -hmm. So not just for sexual harassment, but I had a girl at my field school who was deathly allergic to a whole bunch of things and ended up having an extremely severe allergic reaction in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. Mm. And so It was really dangerous for her. And she ended up learning, like, I can't be an archaeologist because it's so dangerous for me to be in the field like this. But making sure that you have and your field school has an active exit strategy for you, especially if you're going overseas. Like, if you need to save up extra money to be able to buy a last minute plane ticket or something, like, make sure that your field school has thought through or that you think through that sort of thing, because Mm -hmm. it's... It's remote and it can be dangerous and need to think about how you will get yourself out or other people out if allergic reactions, the country has problems, sexual assault, there's yeah. all sorts of things. So that was one thing that I was thinking about, just Yeah. Stuff.
4: Those are that's some good response. points. I hadn't actually looked at those yet. Um, but that's something that's been in the air a lot in the last few years. Um, so that is a good thing to have. When I did my field school, I don't know that there was, there probably was one, but when I taught a field school, it was very explicitly there and it was good that it was. Um, so, you know, things happen sometimes. I mean, occasionally it's quote unquote unintentional. Um, There are a number of different types of field schools out there, and I'll get more into that in a second, Um, but everything from the different types of field schools as far as what kind of archaeology or also the environment that you're in, if it's urban, if it is historic, prehistoric, of course, but then you also have like dry field schools. Um, Those that cater mostly to undergrads or those that cater mostly to grads students or those that cater mostly to retirees or people who are doing it more for fun
1: you so, mean dry as in alcohol free
4: yes <clears throat> so yeah. um most field schools are not
1: yeah i found that kind of odd as, as i was kind of looking through some things and, and it's one of those things that uh i, I don't know it, it was like uh when when i went through field school we joked that the drinking school had a field problem
3: <laughs> yeah
1: and i feel like that's kind of true for most of them mm-hmm. and um you know as i was putting out feelers on on twitter for you know what people felt were important for field schools i i was interested to see that a lot of people were weighing in that they wish that more were dry field schools
4: yeah and i think that's changing more with the <clears throat> incoming generation like mm-hmm in my observations a lot of the students in that age bracket don't drink like I did in my 20s I don't know about the rest of y'all but um (laughs) that's the 20s happen (laughs) (laughs) i skipped it a decade somehow um but my field school was a little bit unique in that where we were housed we couldn't drink we could go and drink at the park or at the bar Mm -hmm. the bar was discouraged because the bar owner was a known looter so don't don't go there or that at least you know you would There's a possibility you would be harassed in there because of the local environment yeah, uh, and attitudes toward archaeology at the time. And um, so it's we, there wasn't as much drinking, and actually there was one episode um, which is still somewhat infamous with uh, the people who were there and the other field school instructors. So the two field schools that work in the same region would um, meet up at some point and go camping and have, like, a mini kegger, not quite a kegger, but, like, bring all the booze, hang out, do the things towards the end of the field school season. And we did that, and our field school was very small, and the other one was three times as many people, basically. So we had seven people, and we all had maybe one or two beers and played card games, and (laughs) they were like, you guys aren't, like, partying (laughs) like yeah we are We're, we're doing the thing we're hanging out and some of that was because we had a precedent set that we even though that i believe no there was only there was one person who was not of age um out of the seven but pretty much everyone just it was not we weren't getting plastered like every night or anything like that or even often like there were a couple of occasions of, like, we went to the swimming hole and, like, had a barbecue and stuff like that. But it wasn't yeah. as crazy as, like, stories I have heard. Mm. Legends of times of yore. <laughs> and it's it's can be kind of ridiculous. But I think times are changing. And that's both a mix of the environment of the Dryfield School becoming a thing. Yeah. It's not super common, but they're <laughs> out there. And then also just I don't see as many undergrads really looking to to go out in the middle of nowhere and drink themselves into a stupor <laughs> while they're trying to earn credits because yeah.
0: that's a poor, poor right, life choice. You're getting a right. grade at that field school and you kind of want to pass the field yes. school. You don't want to make a fool of yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
4: You, you I, don't want to no. be, mm. you don't want to <laughs> be that kind of memorable.
1: Yeah. Well, I think also it kind of reflects like the, the students are, are making, I, I assume like better choices. But um, I think the instructors, too, are, are more aware mm-hmm. and more uh, proactive in terms of increasing the bar, like raising the bar for professionalism in the yeah. field. And I'm seeing that in CRM, too, where, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not old and I haven't been in CRM for like really that long. But um, even the difference from when I got into CRM to like my experience of it now is that. It's way more like the bar for professionalism is way higher than it used to be nice and especially that's like, good to hear <laughs> the, the stories I hear from you know uh, other archaeologists who have been in CRM since you know like the the 70s, 80s and 90s uh, yeah.
4: that's what <laughs> you know
1: like I, I've heard stories that, that are just like how how the fuck did you get any work done uh, right <laughs> and when?
4: <laughs> yes those are great questions yeah. that's when a lot not just archaeology but a lot of work was done like mm, half sober right. functioning alcoholism was <clears throat> much more common just like smoking everywhere yeah. I think that just that sort of lifestyle was much more readily accepted and it's becoming less so yeah um, in this,
0: this day and age um, and where did you do your field school, Katie? I'm racking my brain. Um, I went to the Birch Creek Archaeology Field School, what? so it's out on the Wahki, in Eastern Oregon, down in the canyon. Um, Who does it? that? That uh, sounds was- awesome. Washington State. Um, it was he's with Dr. Andreski, so he's no longer doing it. Yeah. Um, Walmart. I know it's a really cool site. It was. I'm racking my brain still. It was a house pit site along the river. And it was actually a main trafficked like Be river. right still my area. heart. It was beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Area. But we um were right by a main rafting corridor mm. on the Oahe. So we actually got a lot of rafters, even though we were like in the middle of nowhere. Dirt road, canyon, <laughs> no cell phone, nothing. We got oh, yeah. flybys from fighter jets from one of the bases close by. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was scary though because they were doing maneuvers into the canyon. Oh, so we're like if loud. World War III happens, I guess like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, but we would get some rafters that would come up to the site and ask and it was a weird, we didn't get a lot of the public archaeology aspect mm-hmm. that maybe I didn't realize at the time because the, the I wouldn't say the TAs shoot away the rafters, but they would just be like, don't make eye contact, don't like don't no, acknowledge okay. like don't let them know yeah. what's going on here kind of thing um which it seems like a perfect opportunity to reach yeah. out and show kind of like yeah. here are some things you might see on the river if you see this please go to the local blm or yeah because mm-hmm. it was blm land that we were on so at cooper's ferry mm-hmm. we actually had designated
4: students who were trained and had uh not quite a script but like a sort of a script like and stuff to present because we would get rafters all day long on the river and groups from like four to 30 like or more and that's where you know there were ropes or cordoned off areas where people could stand so far back so it was very much set up for public archaeology the BL pardon me um we were on BLM land so, there was a lot of coordination and funding um, with them to create uh, educational products, including bandanas uh, that they worked with the Nez Purse to get, like, the That's Nez Purse cool. year uh, like, uh, round on there. Um, so, I have like a gazillion of those at home. I'm like, one in every color. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> and uh, it was just a really cool opportunity to get to present to people. And I think you definitely have a good point. Like that's something I think that especially if you're having people stumble into the site anyway, it's a really good opportunity to create that conversation with the public to get them to appreciate what's going on Mm -hmm. and to know what to do if they find things because they're out there and obviously there's... There's a lot of shit out there. Yeah. So So
0: that might be something good to look for in a field school. of How's their outreach? Do -hmm. they have um, a unit on that Mm -hmm. that helps you with that? Even if you don't, if it's not the main focus of the school, like Fort Vancouver is a public archaeology field school because people are
4: there all the time walking yeah. around
0: like I, we did it yeah. the year that pokemon go was really big <laughs> so oh, we, no. we had to be very like like wear bright colors and make sure no one oh, was God. walking into the units <laughs> i'm like i
4: can see it now
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like and every night we had to wrap up the units to and like it was pink flagging tape the, around the entire like two yeah. by yeah. two or wow. two by one so yeah but that's something to look into i think Absolutely. yeah for a field school
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you did yours in Belize, right? Or I, Portugal, I, was it?
1: Belize. It was I did speaking. my master's research in Portugal. That's right. Um, but the, so it, it made me think about like the, the things, the factors that I had to consider that made me choose Belize. Mm-hmm. Um, so the school I was at, Appalachian State, normally had, so it required a field school for, to get through the uh, anthropology program with the focus in archaeology Mm -hmm. so you couldn't get out of there without doing a field school and normally the university did a field school right there in boone north carolina um but for whatever reason it was uh i can't remember the reasons but it it just wasn't running that year Mm -hmm. and i needed to take it that year um and so I had to look elsewhere and cost was kind of the first factor that I considered. Mm -hmm. Um, And the department had a big binder (laughs) and that kind of (laughs) dates, you know, me, but uh, you know, they had a big binder, but it was, it was all field schools that they had vetted. Um, And so somehow, you know, the, the instructors there at App State um, had decided, you know, these ones pass muster, we recommend these. And so I looked through and, and cost was kind of my first factor. I was like, you know, what looks interesting? And then also what can I afford? Um, cause a lot of them were, uh, many, many, many thousands of dollars yeah. to go do them. And, uh, so I was, I was weighing some and there were like some in the desert Southwest that looked cool, but it was like $8,000 to go. Oof. And then I was like, are you kidding me how are they so expensive and it was similar like Mediterranean field schools were very expensive ones mm-hmm. in the near East um and at that point like I I didn't I wasn't like fully committed to doing archaeology so it was like the second factor the second you know factor that I, I weighed my selection criteria on was um what what looks cool you know mm-hmm. like am I gonna have fun doing this thing is this the kind of thing that's going to inspire me to, Um, Continue doing archaeology. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, then things in the Maya region started to stand out. And then I was like, okay, well, how's my Spanish? Uh, Zero. I didn't know any (laughs) Spanish. So I was like, okay. Uh, Places that have Maya that are not expensive and they speak English. Belize.
4: Yep. (laughs) That's a pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah, it Funnel. just funneled me right in there. <laughs> and so I ended up working uh, with the Belize Valley Archaeological Reconnaissance Project, or BVAR. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was a great opportunity. And it ended up being this thing that I went in as a student. And what I liked about it the first go around was um, it, it was structured as you had homework before you got there. You, mm-hmm. you had to do a lit review Um, And it was nice. Yeah. And it was a pretty exhaustive lit review that covered, you know, kind of the basics of of the Maya, um, the you know, the different cultural phases of of the Maya region and then more specifically relating to uh, the Belize River Valley there. Yeah. Um, So it was it you kind of came in prepared um, and then they also had uh, basics on field methods and. Um, you know, just their procedures for the field school that you had to read up on and and Mm -hmm. study. And then throughout the course of it, you had to take these tests that were graded. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then at the end, uh, uh, it was through my university, I had to write up, you know, basically a report on what I had done, citing all of that. Um, But aside from the lit review, you had uh, a survey component, an excavation component, and a lab component nice. um, and they would rotate you evenly through mm-hmm. all the components so that you got kind of a well-rounded experience. And um, every so often they would bring other researchers in the area in to speak. And so you had these guest lectures throughout the, mm-hmm. the course of it um, and you had options and for however many credits you wanted to earn, you could either go for two weeks or four weeks um, or if you really wanted to go wild, you could stay there for, um, two months. And <clears throat> so I only needed to stay there for four weeks. So I stayed there for four weeks, um, got all the credits I needed. And that's another thing, um, I think undergrads need to consider is make sure that it is one accredited, uh, yes. and two, that it'll, those credits will transfer and be accepted by your university. Yeah. yeah. Check so,
4: the requirements for the university. Cause I think OSC requires <clears throat> eight weeks. Oh, wow. Of wherever. Um, uh, U of O was six weeks, six to eight weeks yeah. of field school. And there was uh, somewhere else, I remember talking to someone that was like, they had to do, they ended up doing two field schools to re- uh, to complete the requirements because one was two weeks and one was four. So, you know, be aware of what the requirements are for your program most likely In my that I've seen programs require field school if you're focusing in archaeology because Mm. they should. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's going to be a requirement for any job that you get. You cannot get a job in archaeology without a field school. Yeah. Um, Even if you don't have anthropology as your major and you go through a history thing and you want to take a field school and you find out that's your your bag. That's usually enough for a CRM firm to be like, it's a related degree. Yep. You have field experience from the field school, you're golden. Yeah. So I know a couple of people who kind of took that circuitous route. So
1: Yeah. And then just it being a good opportunity for me coming out of it. Um, you know, I I came back the next year um as a, a supervisor. Mm. Um, and so you know, I was more focused on um, survey the next time around, mm-hmm. and that was that was a decision I made because my advisor at the time uh, had kind of coached me towards a, a CRM track. And even though the field school didn't, you know, was was clearly in Maya archaeology and not CRM, uh, he was like, you know, you need a lot of survey experience if you're going to go into CRM. So focus on <laughs> survey. I loved it anyhow. So I, I aimed that direction. And uh, then I came back the third year as the survey director. And so it was interesting for me to get that kind of experience uh, in terms of like increasing responsibility to like learning how to actually produce some research out of it. Yeah. Um, and that was, I think that picking up writing skills early on kind of helped me out in terms of, you know, giving me a foot in the door, uh, during some tough times. And I think on the last episode we, we talked about like our, our tough times getting in, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was. um, but, uh, yeah, so it was good. And then aside from that, I just made like friends for life. You know, I, I yeah. stay in contact with a lot of people I went through field school with, and it's just really cool to see them go on and do other things. And, yeah. um, you know, everybody spread far and wide and it's just really cool.
4: Yeah. I definitely keep in in touch with uh, my field school cohort even though it was very small it's actually how i got my first crm job as we mm-hmm. nice. talked about on the last show um was through another student that i had done field school with um and i did mine at paisley caves here in oregon through the u- through u of o it's actually I did my first two years of undergrad um, in community college and chose my last two years to complete my degree because this is how I roll. I'm like super way planned out in excess (laughs) ahead of time. Um, I chose the field school that I wanted to go to and went to that university. Mm. Smart. So um, that allowed me to apply for... like a grant through the university or a scholarship that paid for my field school. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sure other people from outside could have applied, but I was able to be pick brains and be like, what is there? Is there stuff that like I can do to help supplement the costs and stuff? So it worked out really well um, in that. And I almost didn't even make it into the one, that, the one that I wanted, because they do two field schools, yeah. and they had put me in the second one, and I was like, oh. <laughs> but someone ended up, like, dropping out of the top, and they let me know that I was in. But that field school was very good, and that's where – that's so it was a well-known field school. It was the last year they did it mm. by the time I got in there. And – so there was a reputation for the site already, which means that I didn't have to, like, it, it helped in my getting jobs later. People are like, oh, you worked at that site. We know there's high standards. So if you can find a site or someone like an instructor that's reputable, that has been able to send, like, field school students off into actual careers, um you know, those are usually good signs and -hmm. people will recognize the instructor or the location. Um, But we did not actually do all of the field CRM stuff that I wished that I had actually later in hindsight been Mm -hmm. like, I did not learn survey. Like I already knew how to use a compass. That's something that a lot of people I find don't know how to do. Reading maps. Mm -hmm. Reading maps. Like um, all those... Those uh, skills, outdoors, outdoors skills. Yeah. Um,
1: Even as <laughs> as like, GIS gets more and more. Uh, I don't know what the word is. As as it proliferates, our whole approach to field work. Mm-hmm. It's still important to understand how to read a compass and a map.
4: Yes, because it can be required.
1: Yeah.
2: Because that the GIS. I mean, they don't work all the time. No. And then you also have to keep in mind that. Majority of the sites in CRM that you're going to go back and look at were recorded in the 70s and 80s. Exactly. When there wasn't, and they only draw them on a map. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to be able to kind of sort of read a map to be able to help you relocate it again. Yeah.
1: yeah. Or you're going down the wrong valley or up the wrong ridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's, that's
4: unfortunate.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are if you don't find those, if you like have your heart set, as I did on a specific field school, um, I would say if you use you these are skills that you need, if you don't have them already, find ways like there's always or often um, there's like, what is it called? It's like the the compass. Uh, there's like a. Yeah. Not wayfinders, but like um, benchmarks. Maybe you're talking
1: about like the little metal thing that's
4: no, like I'm talking about. So there's groups of people who get together and make themselves maps.
1: Oh, and
4: uh... do directions, and you have to find your oh, geocachers n- n- close. No, so geocaching usually uses a GPS, mm. this uses comp- compass and map only. Oh. So you're given coordinates. And you have to, like, find a series. It's almost like a, um, uh, like, uh, the, uh, <laughs> it's been a long day. I've been up since, like, five. Oh. <laughs> uh, but you're basically making your, your you, everyone starts at the same spot, and you have to go from point A to point B to point C, but everyone yeah. has different directions mm-hmm. that they're going. Um, and you find your way ultimately to the final spot where there's something. So it's like a a scavenger hunt. There we go. Goodness gracious. Uh I was about to say the amazing race. (laughs) 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 But it's like often in a park and it's like orienteering. Goodness gracious. Orienteering. They'll usually like they have basic classes on how to use a compass and stuff, but they will usually do these events Mm -hmm. to where you can like practice your map and compass skills and it's like a mini competition and stuff and they'll do. Yeah. It. So there's stuff like that that's free or low cost. Um, you can also check with your university usually in like a rec center or gym. They will have outdoor skills. Not always. I, mm-hmm. g- I understand. But um, often you'll find that kind of stuff there, which can be done for free or low cost or covered by, you know, funding if you have it. Uh, so there's there's options. So. While I would also recommend that if you can find field school that teaches you all of the ins and outs of CRM, don't lose heart. There Mm. are other ways that you can gain those skills. Some stuff you will only learn in the field. You Mm. cannot learn everything, like, in field school. Mm. And that is something also to remember. You will not learn all of the things. And like any job, there is an onboarding process to where you learn the ways of however they're doing things. Um. And to to keep in mind, I think Chris made a really important point of like something that inspires you, something that you find interesting.
1: Because it's kind of your sink or swim moment, um, Mm -hmm. your first field school. And that's really kind of when you have to decide, is this enough for me to try and make a career out of it? Yeah. Or... You know, do do I uh, take an easier route? <laughs> yeah, take a different path. Uh, you know, and it's not the first time you're going to have that moment where you have to make that decision, but uh, it's your—it's probably the first time you're going to have and to make that decision. important, <laughs> yes.
2: So I, th- I think in like, if we break it down into two categories, in a realistic world, you should look for a field school that you can afford. And mm-hmm. keep in mind that there's GoFundMe and I know many people who have been able to pay for their <coughs> field schools through GoFundMe type things. Yeah. You can use student loans for field schools if you do them through your university or somewhere mm-hmm. that is accredited. So someplace that you can afford and someplace that's reputable. Yeah. Other than that, like realistically like those are the top two things you should be looking for in a perfect world. When you're able to look at other things, try and find a field school that is it, it down the path that you're kind of wanting to head. And if you end up changing your mind later, like we've all shown that your field school is important, but not, it doesn't define your whole life. Like right. Chris isn't a Belizean archeologist. <laughs> like he's not solely defined. Yeah. Like, I'm not only working in Colorado anymore. So like, Yeah. You can keep in mind that like, okay, well, I think I want to do this and like, okay, go look for those kinds of things. If you're a person who's like archaeology is dope, but I want to work in a museum, find things that teach you museum stuff. Like if you want to be in the field to understand what that component is, cool. Mm -hmm. But focus on because I feel like a lot of times archaeologists are so focused on like field, field, field. And not the like, there's a huge museum component or a lab yeah. component and mm-hmm. finding a field school like the, um, I, I think that the Fort Vancouver has a big lab component. You have a week yeah. in the lab, yeah, right? Yeah, you get,
0: like they chunk it out in weeks. So you get like yeah. a week in the lab, a week in the field. So yeah, rotating through that yeah. and making sure you learn how to catalog and mm-hmm. yep. make sure you're learning identification methods yeah. for that. And yeah.
2: focusing on something like, if you want to be a pre-contact archaeologist, like that's your jam find a field school that maybe focuses on that a little more. If you're a histo- you own, you like historics that you just get off on historics, like go look for one of those. Don't yeah. try and find a pre-contact because you're not gonna because like my field school, we were all like his historic You. <laughs> yeah. But there was like people in that class who were like I, I really like old cabins. Like I like studying yeah. and looking at how a cabin is joined together, and you can yeah. tell how old a cabin is based off like the joining. Like if that's what you're into, like go find the field schools. Try to, as we've been saying, like tailor it to what you want to go do. Don't just like if you can, in a perfect world, start yeah. trying to find those those paths and the ones that you're like, I don't really just want to be a lab dude. <laughs> yeah, you cannot yeah. take a field school and try and go find like lab op- volunteer opportunities. I know that for Vancouver does it. I think the Burke has some volunteer. Yeah. And that's like they're harder yeah. to get but like places ha- and I know the Denver Museum likes to bring in Yeah. Uh, lab launch you're mostly going to be doing paleontology if you go to the Denver Museum so just keep that in mind. Like cataloging and <laughs> yeah, doing so the like- same
0: kind of work is yeah. similar in style so you can that's a crossover. Yeah. It's a Yeah.
2: It is and
4: that's so I like that you pulled in the museum component because I've done a lot of museum work as well. Um, And there is a lot of overlap. I think if you are really interested in museum work and you still want to do archaeology or somehow be involved in archaeological collections, it is a good idea to find a field school, if you can, that has things with preservation issues So an example Mm -hmm. is in Paisley, we have a huge, in a lot of cave sites, there's a huge amount of perishables. So things that don't usually last, like, 2,000 years, let alone 12 or 13,000 years. Like, you have bone and hair and tissue on things. There's, like, uh, basketry and um, stuff like that. So there's specific collection techniques to take them out of the field to get them to preserve from the field to the lab, to mm-hmm. the museum, like that in and of itself is kind of a feat. Um, and there's a lot of people I've definitely been in science to where it's like we unexpectedly find like plant remains or like a groundstone. People are like, how do we keep the groundstone like okay for analysis? Can we, I know you're not supposed to put like certain materials on it. Does anyone know what's going, like mm-hmm. how to do this? So Having that sort of expertise and being able to be the person on call, but it can also help you get into museums because you have a knowledge base of uh, preservation issues, and that is harder to find. Mm-hmm. So you become kind of like, oh, you know things. Like I was, there you was. Have a certain set of skills. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was um, my hometown. Um, I ended up getting offered a collections, like, curator job only, like, four years out of undergrad because I had had experience in these sorts of Mm -hmm. things and had experience in museums for a couple of years. And they're like, no one else in this valley (laughs) knows what you know, and I don't want to do it anymore. So... (laughs) it's yours if you want it. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm not saying, but I appreciate it. I don't. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> so yeah, as much as I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
1: yeah. Another component that, um, I haven't really seen in many field schools. Um, uh, but Dr. Keisha Supernat brought it up on Twitter. Um, I am you. She's at Archeomapper. <laughs> um, if, if anybody's on Twitter, follow at Archeomapper. Mm-hmm. Um, she's incredible, and, and I've learned so much from her, and, and I got a chance to see her um, speak at the uh, Chalk Mool conference a few years mm-hmm. ago. Um, but she brought up uh, that she would argue that if it's taking place on indigenous sites, considering if and how local communities are involved, mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: um Alongside uh, John Lowe's point about harassment policies, that's something that I think is a component that's that's missing from a lot of field schools. Mm. Um, but it's I, I think that that's becoming more common. Yes. Um, so, yeah, if if you're looking at, um, you know, uh, pre-contact or indigenous sites, um, you know, consider how the local community, the indigenous community, you um, is involved in that, and it'll yeah. probably spell it out in the whole description of mm-hmm. of the field school and yeah. have some kind of the component.
0: Katie in your notes, you had yeah. If you're <clears throat> if you're looking for a field school here in Oregon <laughs> with the Grand Ron, um, yes. University mm-hmm. of Washington, um, Sarah, Doctor Sarah Gonzalez, um, she was a goddess. She's yes. amazing. Yes, very also, amazing. I'm, I'm glad going to you brought that up yeah. because I'm like I'm gonna no. You yeah, totally field, field, <laughs> field methods and indigenous archaeology. It's great. They're working on the grand ron reservation and mm. the grand ron is very involved with the field methods themselves the students stay in community in the community they have to produce a pro, uh, not a product uh, a paper or some sort of project at the end of the field school that has involved the community that's through that's really the field cool school. that's really cool yeah it's really really cool um yeah. and they're mostly working on from what i know currently they're it's more of a they're looking at how um, the tribes kind of oriented themselves on the reservation. Mm. So the Malala stayed in a certain area while the um, Yam Hill stayed in another section. And they oriented how they were geographically as well wow. across the landscape. So they're examining that and doing oral traditions. That's really and, cool. Yeah. It's so really... I got really excited. <laughs> yeah. It's like only like one of a
2: handful in the mm-hmm. entire country that actually like yep. works with... Indigenous communities, and that's a bummer. Like, that's yeah. way to go, Sarah Gonzalez. Yeah. But, like, that's a massive ass bummer. Yeah. Like, my field school, I don't even think we talked about who the descendants of those people would have been. Like, we didn't oh, talk really? about the fact that it was like, you know, the Kiowa and like all of these indigenous people who got removed from Colorado because Colorado has a horrific history. We have like one reservation in the state and like just shoved them out and we didn't even talk about it. And granted, like the Plains community does not have it's still very contentious as most relationships are, but like coming here to the Pacific Northwest it was like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> we talked and did like what? Yeah. They'll talk to you. It it's like,
4: very late in the whole like colonial I'm gonna yeah, take on
2: roll, like y- yeah. yeah. And Colorado's still weirdly Proud of that sort of history, yeah. like learning that other kids learn about Indigenous people growing up. I was like, cool. We, you would think that they didn't even, yeah, live in the state. But anywho, mm-hmm. that, and if you go to a field school that doesn't talk about it, be the person who brings it up. Feel empowered to talk about the fact that, like, mm-hmm. who were these? Like, yeah, who are we studying? Who are we talking Where about? Where do they live now? What is their opinion
4: on this site? Like,
2: bring it up. <laughs> be be that person because yeah. archaeology is sat too long and being yeah in dick mode so let's (laughs) (laughs) it's okay to poke and yeah it's okay to poke (laughs) and a lot of a lot of tribes across the country and even
4: internationally have uh, i say internationally like us canada mexico uh i don't know a whole lot about this southern portion of our continent but as far as the the tribal relations but um so first nations in canada They've been having a lot of problems in a couple of years, but like, aside from that, generally speaking, most tribes in the U.S. have become stronger since reinstatement, since the ability to be a tribe again. Um, So that gets into like tribal history and whatnot. But um, even back East and in the Midwest, I've seen more uh, tribes being more vocal um, and then also, like in the Northwest, you see a lot of uh, not just tribes being more vocal, but reinstating cultural programs, building museums, having public outreach. Um, Oregon recently, uh, in the last couple of years, passed a law to um, require tribal histories in public schools. And it's not just like people used to live in a uh, wiki It's like. How yes, this is their history from pre contact. What happened when contact happened?
1: Mm-hmm. Bad things. And
4: <laughs> where did where are people living now? How are they doing today? Like mm-hmm. that whole social trajectory mm-hmm. um is being required to be taught in schools. And the tribe designs the curriculum. Nice. Oh, so that is really exciting to see that it's actually I think it was like uh, Satara was in elementary school And that was passed And she's a sophomore in high school And it's now being implemented I think in all of the schools Wow So uh, It's usually about fourth grade That that curriculum is taught Yeah So it's really key to To <clears throat> Having empathy and knowledge and, like, I grew up in the Rogue Valley where people had been marched out on foot in the middle of January, and I didn't learn about that until after I finished high school. Yeah. Like, the whole, I remember taking a hiking trip up to Table Rock and, like, oh, God, what was it, seventh grade? And then there's, like, placards of, like, the indigenous people used to blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Who? (laughs) Like, like, and and I was just fascinated since then of, like, why is this history hidden? Obviously, we all know why. But as far as, like, this can't be a thing. Like, this needs to change. And so one of the reasons why I chose Paisley was that it's, like, this is, at the time, the earliest site that they've been able to firmly establish people in the Americas. And I'm, like, this is so important for people to realize that people have been here for that long. Like, mm-hmm. you know, especially with all the pseudoscience bullshit of, like, the Phoenicians came and established, <laughs> or, like,
1: the... The Solutrian connection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you think Americans came from uh, France, you're
0: you wrong. should be punched in the dick. <laughs> yes. yes. So really quick, I know we're recording out of, core of my eye. I saw a couple people, I don't know if maybe they might be next
1: oh yeah so i guess we're about out oh, of yeah. time
0: we are. dang <laughs> that was fast so <laughs> so go to field school <laughs> Yes, yeah. do really well you're gonna have fun <laughs> do, oh, <my> we, <laughs> do we do we want
4: to do a real quick plug for uh the field schools that we are like
2: Correct. excited about yeah
1: yeah that um, are coming
2: up this year
1: you want to kick it off
2: I don't have any <laughs> oh, Colorado State is probably Doing theirs uh, awesome. It is probably
3: awesome
4: <laughs> So This summer uh, Dr. Lauren Davis Is going to be doing a field school Out at Sylvie's Cave In the northern Great Basin So southeast uh, portion of Oregon in uh, the Harney Basin Or rather just north of the Harney Basin In the mountains there um, it is a really fabulous site. I know some about the site. I don't know how much I can or cannot say, so I won't say anything other than it's pretty spectacular. And if you are interested in Paleo-Indian stuff, that's a really cool site to get involved in, as most of Dr. Davis's stuff is.
2: He's at OSU? Oregon yes. State
4: University. Oregon, yes. Mm-hmm. Oregon State University. So that's who this is through.
1: Plus talk about enjoying your time there. That part oh, yeah. of the state is amazing. Dude, yes. yeah, mm-hmm.
4: that's... It's my second home. I would love to go back and just never come back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So oh. his basic as a quick uh, look at the site that, of the information that he has is that there are fluted points and western stem points in strata Whoa. in the cave. So this is the first <laughs> time. Yeah, so go. So <laughs> it, it may make archaeological history as again yeah I'm as like, he just tends to <laughs> do and, you know it's just part of what he does yeah so it does earn you 12 credits and it is fairly low cost at uh three thousand three hundred and twenty four dollars for 12 credits so oh, wow. um, super cheap yeah that's awesome over the edge as well
0: to graduate yeah
4: even. so that'll be that'll be great uh so that's something to look forward to and that's this august
1: Yeah. Um, For me, I want to plug Terry Brock's field school. Um, He is an archaeologist at James Madison's Montpelier. Uh, They have field schools and paid internships, and uh, they. Just to read his tweets, uh, he said one of the criteria to choose a field school is how close to Orange, Virginia are they located? (laughs) To answer that question, I think there's only one that's very close to Orange, Virginia, and that's... James Madison's Montpelier. Uh, he follows that up by saying, uh, but in seriousness, it really depends on what you're after. For example, if you want to learn about how archaeologists work with the public, you want our field school. If you want to travel and see the world, probably try something different. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm.
1: um, so he, go- he goes on, uh, it's, it's an affordable field school with um, uh, some world-class experience to set you up for public archaeology, which is another component that uh, is kind of difficult to get Katie, how about you?
0: Okay, I'm going to rapid fire. You've already heard about Fort Vancouver. They're running their field school again this year, public archaeology, his, historic focus. Um, it's with PSU and Washington State, Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So they're very local. You get to stay at home. And it's a national park. It's a national park as well. Um, so this year it's PSU Field School and Colonial Archaeology of the Pacific Northwest. They're visiting more sites across the Northwest as well oh, and cool. not just staying at Fort Vancouver. Cool. So you get to kind of explore that. Um, also, there's the field methods and indigenous archaeology with the University of Washington in Grand Ronde. Um, I don't know if they're doing it this year, but it's also another kind of local, mm-hmm. it might be a little cheaper um, school. And then Washington State has a new one. Uh, it's Indigenous Collaboration Landscapes and Heritage Management Ooh. with uh, Dr. Shannon Tushingham, who I've oh, done some work with. And she's, she's fabulous. Fab- yes, yeah, she's oh, awesome. Yeah. And it's in north central Washington with the Colville perfect oh yeah so so, yes that makes me excited they've done some really cool yeah and they're all state schools so they're all relatively low on their tuition Mm -hmm. and i love all state schools i've worked Mm -hmm. at one and i've gone to so yay yeah so you got you got
4: uh early prehistory historic public Mm -hmm. arc and tribal field schools. so you kind of we cover the basis guys like nice work yeah like <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, so it's... let's
1: wrap it up with some shout outs. Yeah. Uh, women in Archaeology, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirsten is part of uh, Women in Archaeology. Uh, they have some great podcasts. Um, the links will be in the show notes. Um, also, Archie Fantasies, uh, the Mythbusters of Archaeology. Uh, super informative, super fun. Uh, Bill Octor has several projects. He has a. Um, a, a kind of like suite of projects that span podcast, twitch and youtube uh, they're called still digging archaeo rpg and rituals and roles so if you're into uh role-playing games tabletop gaming uh, and how archaeology uh theory and method can intersect with that check those out also uh dr michael rivera on the arcanath podcast uh the transect our friends from canada Uh, The Sprocket Podcast, of course, our friends here in Portland, who we share the studio with, and the Trillbilly Workers Party. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
5: We're
4: all together, you guys. We're all
1: clapping. Okay. All right. It was great. See us (laughs) next time.